Hello and welcome to the Claim Your Power podcast, the ultimate show for all things self-love, spirituality, and personal growth. I'm your host, Kim Peretz. I'm a three-time author, content creator, avid traveler, entrepreneur, and matcha enthusiast. You are at the right place if you're ready to rediscover the love within, align with your purpose, and unleash your highest potential. It's time to claim your power. Hello, guys, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, I'm joined by the wonderful Emma Marshall. She is an amazing soul, and she's joining me today to talk about how to heal and release trauma through somatic healing. And I'm so happy that she's here to share her wonderful wisdom. And I really hope that this episode serves as a catalyst for anyone listening who wants to heal any sort of trauma, whether it's physical, mental, emotional. Just take it up, soak it in, take some notes if you need to. Thank you for joining me today, Emma. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So my first question for you is just like to lay the foundation. What is trauma? How would you define trauma? Yeah, so I guess on a basic level, I believe that trauma is the emotional or physiological response humans have to painful, harmful negative quote unquote experiences that we face. So anything that puts the body or the mind or the spirit through this wave of, I guess, intensity or discomfort or dysregulation, trauma is how our body kind of responds and is affected to that situation, whatever it might be. This can be physical, this can be emotional, this can be mental, this can be energetic. It kind of comes in so many different uh, shapes and sizes and forms. But yeah, it's really our own personal reaction and experience to the things that happen to us that are, I guess, difficult in some capacity. So does trauma get stored in the body? Yeah. So, I mean, it's really different for every single person, but very likely if you've experienced trauma, even if it wasn't like a big T trauma, like a massive, crazy, intense moment, we have such micro traumatic experiences throughout our entire lives. Let's say for example, like you were dancing when you were in elementary school on the playground, having a ball, just like putting on some music, moving your body because it was fun and you loved it. And people laughed at you and bullied you and made you feel bad and told you you were a bad dancer. Like that's not, you know, getting hit by a car or experiencing something major where like physical or emotional trauma would be obvious, but it's in these micro moments that these little traumas start to build up and they actually get stored in our tissue. And so when they're stored in our tissue, they kind of like get lodged in essentially and forgotten about, and the body doesn't remember they're there on like a macro scale, but in little moments, it'll like hold us back and trigger us and come up and basically call for us to be significantly more dysregulated. So if you start dancing in public or you see people around you dancing in public and you wanna join in, there's gonna be an activation of that little trauma that's stored in your tissue that's like, oh, but what if people are gonna judge me when I dance? What if people are gonna think I look stupid? Like, I can't dance, I'm not a good dancer. Like, And you kind of block yourself and have a space between the action you wanna do and actually going to do it with this discomfort or this uh, trigger, even if it's micro, mm-hmm. that ends up stopping you from doing the things you wanna do. And that's obviously just a random example, but it's, you know, the body can't tell the difference between something that's happened yesterday or today versus something that's happened 10 years ago because it just feels an experience. 
So when you do like a breathwork session, let's say, or the one that I teach is specifically for trauma release, you could not only be releasing something that you experienced yesterday, let's say you're going through a breakup and the trauma or the emotional pain is really intense right now. Going through a breathwork session would help you release that, but you know, your body might've stored something from 15 years ago. And if you haven't learned tools to process, it could still be stored in your tissue. You know, you have to end up doing more and more and more regulation often more frequently and at a deeper level to bring it up and out of your body because it's been there for so long. It just becomes like part of you. It becomes this attachment within your body physiologically and energetically and it creates blocks, you know, like if your energy centers are blocked, energy can't flow freely. So we need to remove these blocks so you can have free flowing energy to do anything in life, really from the root to the crown, like all areas of your energetic field are impacted by these blocks. And it obviously depends on what trauma you experience and, you know, at what point in your life, but in any capacity that you experience it, it just becomes blocked energy in your body, which can manifest in the physical as well. I do know that when I did my yoga teacher training, we were talking about hip openers mm -hmm. and how hip opener poses actually release trauma. So I'm wondering like, what are some other ways that people can process trauma through the mind and through the body? Yeah, so I mean, somatic practices are going to be in my opinion your best bet so doing physical things with the body to move stagnant energy so a few of my favorite and we can talk about them in greater detail um but breathwork obviously in all shapes and sizes the breathwork i teach once again is specific for blockage release it's intense most people cry a lot uh there's a wide pain to pleasure ratio and range um but you're breathing for 45 minutes actively. So that is, you know, you're bound to bring up a lot, but even just something as simple as Nadi Shodana, opposite nostril breathing to balance your hemispheres, box breathing, where you just, you know, inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for four, hold for four, um, breath of fire, lion's breath. And all of these are super accessible on YouTube. You can just type in breath work for dot, 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 trauma release, anxiety, overwhelm. The internet is a beautiful tool for these practices, but any type of breath, what it's doing essentially is helping your body get back into a parasympathetic state, which is your rest and repair state, um, which then allows you to be kind of centered and not triggered and not in that fight or flight state, which is where trauma loves to take us to. Like trauma brings us to a state of fight or flight or freeze. And that's typically an inflammatory response in our body. That makes it extremely hard to heal. Like, let's say you were being chased by a lion in the jungle. That's typically why we have, you know, our sympathetic state of fight or flight. Because if we were in a more primal way of existing or the less frequent times now that we actually need to survive, our body shuts down things like our immune system, our cognitive function, our digestive system, and things that aren't imperative for survival. So it can enhance things like your heart rate, your adrenaline, your blood pressure, your pupil dilation to make sure you have a better chance of surviving. But now in today's day and age, things like a text message from your ex or a phone call from your boss or a disagreement with your parent will put you in the same physiological state of fight or flight as if you were being attacked by a lion. So 
Wow. To get, yeah, it's wild. So getting out of that fight or flight with somatic practices, and I can share more momentarily, that's just going to help you navigate trauma better, navigate triggers better, because it's not always about completely releasing it. It's about bearing witness to it, being the observer of it, and not having it affect you so deeply. So I'm a big believer that healing is a journey and slow and steady wins the race. So what would you say is your tip to someone who knows that they have trauma that they want to heal through, but they want to take baby steps? So like, what are some daily actions that they can do in their everyday life to anyone listening to really start integrating these practices and slowly healing trauma from the root? I think number one, it's such a basic one for like the spiritual conscious community, but it is so overlooked because it is not actually easy at all. And it's literally just practicing mindfulness. Like, can you actually be mindful for one day? Ask yourself when you wake up, when you plant your feet on the ground, are you going on your phone right away and mindlessly scrolling? Or are you intentional about getting some water, doing your morning skincare routine, you know, eating a nourishing breakfast, whatever it is you're doing, even when you're brushing your teeth, like when was the last time you paid attention to that process? Or did you just autopilot, go to the bathroom, put your toothpaste on, brush, and then suddenly you're like putting your clothes on, you forgot you even did it. You don't know how long it's been, you know? We don't actually pay attention to anything in our lives. And if we don't practice mindfulness, I'll say that, you know, not everyone. The vast majority of people are not mindful typically or have a hard time staying mindful pretty consistently. And even I'll say someone who's been practicing uh, mindfulness, spirituality, conscious living for around six years, being mindful is hard. It is not easy at all because our mind so easily slips into a state of distraction. And there's so much stimuli all around us at all times these days that it's no easy feat. So before that, I'd even say be compassionate with yourself. It's a journey, like you said. If you're not accepting yourself and if you're judging yourself and if you're creating feelings of guilt or shame because you haven't navigated the situation you're in yet or you haven't you know, gotten to where you want to be yet, you're not going to get any further because guilt and shame are the biggest proponents that lead you to self-sabotage. So first, be gentle. And two, just start bringing awareness to your daily actions. So how much intention can you bring to what you do? How much awareness can you bring to how you feel? If you have a trigger arise, instead of like fully leaning into it, can you take a moment, even if you take one deep breath with a hand on your heart and ask yourself, where is this coming from? Is this truly me? Am I safe? You know, how can I view this right now in a way that helps me lean into it, not run from it or let it control me? Because if we're mindful, we're in that observer state and typically our traumas or triggers have a less you know, intense impact when we can see it as something that's happening, but not something that's like fully us at our core. So obviously there's a bunch of practices, somatic shaking and ecstatic dance and yoga and earth grounding and putting your phone away for extended periods of time. And all these tools are amazing for regulation. And again, we can chat about them more, but if you're not intentional with the things you do and mindful and aware of the thoughts that are racing through your mind and aware of why things make you feel the way they do. Uh, it's not gonna really matter if you start to implement all these tools because there needs to be an awareness 
and intention behind it first. So my mom is an NLP trainer and she taught me something when I was really young that whenever you have any painful memories or anything that's like keeps racing through your head a thought, what you can do, and I think it's really great because you can do this anywhere, is you just close your eyes, you see that memory or you see that experience and you turn it black and white. And then as you watch it over and over again, you see the image. It's like you're seeing it on a movie screen and you see it get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And what it does is you're desensitizing from that experience. You're taking your power back from it by kind of like removing the color, removing the energy and visualizing it getting smaller and smaller. And that's something that's really helped me that I just thought of after you were sharing all the other somatic practices. Every single person has experienced some form of trauma, whether they recognize it as trauma or not. But most of the time, unless it's like deeply lodged in your body and it's something you actually need to uproot through the lens of the body, it becomes such a difficult part of your life and part of your reality because you give it a lot of attention. You feed it, you let it ruminate. You give it like, yeah, yeah you're, you give it your energy. And when you give it your energy, it grows. What we focus on, grows what we focus on manifests so if you're giving a lot of attention to traumatic experiences which again i understand sometimes it's really difficult not to and this is nuanced but for the majority of harmful and difficult situations that we face that end up triggering us we with a shift in mindset and a shift in perspective around it and with less attention and more attention on the positive and more attention on you know, nourishing and nurturing ourselves, we can do that little, you know, shrinking of the effect it has on us. I also wanted to ask you, so you mentioned one thing that you do is kind of limit your time away from your phone. And I'm speaking for myself, but I also know that maybe a lot of people listening will relate to this, that because of social media, there's definitely a lot of triggers back in time when people lived in villages and they didn't have phones, no one would know what's happening across the world. No one's nervous system was that overwhelmed. We didn't have access to that much information. Like you would just know if something happened in your village, in your community, and that's how they live life. And now we have so much access to media and social media and texting and Instagram and TikTok that when something happens, even on the other side of the world, you know about it and you pick up that energy and you watch it and you absorb it. And that's honestly something that I've been kind of struggling with to be vulnerable because my life, a lot of it is on social media. I'm a content creator. It's my job. But at the same time, I don't like social media. Like I love creating, but I don't like consuming at all. Juxtaposition of, okay, how do I create? How do I be active on social media? How do I share more light and be present? But also how do I have boundaries with what I'm consuming, with how much time I'm spending on social media? And I definitely think that just like in the past week or two with everything going on around the world and there's so much news and stuff, it's definitely been affecting me more than I thought. So I'm sure a lot of people that are listening can kind of relate to that. So I'm curious if you have any tips for anyone who kind of wants to set better boundaries with social media. Yeah, well, I think first and foremost is to have realistic expectations of yourself. Like for me, I'm on social media definitely more than I care to admit. And I'm still working on it and I'm still navigating it. But first and foremost is the question that I think every single person who has a social media platform or at least wants to be conscious about it has to ask themselves is, 
is this a sacred space for me? Is this a safe space for me? Because you choose the container by you choosing who you follow and who follows you. And, you know, I don't care who follows me at this point. I'm not checking that. If you want to follow me, you know, I'm not on private, please do. I hope you benefit from something that I share. But I, a long time ago, and still probably once every three months, I do like a social media cleanse, detox, where I go and I make sure that everyone I'm following is someone in alignment with me. And that was really hard for me for a while because besides my best friends, I pretty much unfollowed everyone I went to high school and college with. And, you know, previously I had that fear of like, oh, they're going to think I'm a bitch. They're not going to like me anymore because they're going to see that I unfollowed them on social media. And if you have that belief, I see you. And also it's none of your business how people perceive your actions, because if they're with the intention you desired them to be, that's enough. That's more than enough. So ask yourself, like, what are you following? You know, honestly, I, with everything going on in the world, I followed a few accounts to like be more up to date with the news, which is so unlike me because I just wanted to know what was going on. My friends were struggling and, you know, I care and I had to unfollow them. I followed them for a week and I was like, no, this is awful for me. You know, same. <laughs> yeah. I had the same thing. I did the same thing. I followed them after a week. I was like, I'm done. Like, yeah. I was like, what purpose is this serving me? Like, we're not supposed to know every detail of every harmful situation. I understand the overarching, you know, situation. I understand that I will be informed one way or another, especially because I have just a lot of friends involved. If something is really worthwhile for me to know, I'm going to be informed. Following those, I was just certain that it was harmful. So I unfollowed them. And I did that. I did a big, big like cleanse after I graduated college and like decided this would eventually become a business account. But again, every once in a while, I'm clearing out that space. I'm with love. Like it is never personal. If I unfollow you and you take it personally, like, I'm sorry you feel that way. It has nothing to do with anyone. It's my space. I'm on it a lot. Content creator, coach, like person who needs to be on social media to live the life I want to live and so grateful for it. But yeah, I will always protect my peace with setting that boundary. And the other thing I'll say that I'm not always doing myself, if I'm being completely honest, I try my very best and I do it and a fair amount, I'd say, but not every day. And it's something I would love to get to. But if you have the means, which I believe we all do, don't go on your phone for the first hour when you wake up and the last hour before you go to bed. Like you want to wind down at night. You don't need other people's information blaring into your brain. You don't want other people's information coming into your consciousness right when you wake up. You're most connected to the divine in the morning. You're your most, you know, open and receptive and sensitive. And you're literally blasting your dopamine receptors with stimulation that actually puts your body into a state of fight or flight, you know? So you're receiving so much information. And even if you do it 10 minutes after you wake up, if you did a glass of water, a meditation, some affirmations, and then you're like, I'm really busy. I got to get on my phone. So be it. You at least took a little bit of time to be with yourself first. But if you're literally rolling over, placing your arm on the floor, and before you even have your eyes open for 10 seconds, you're on your phone. I don't think that's helping your your uh, ability to regulate whatsoever. I so agree with this. And that's something that I decided with myself a couple years ago that I would not be going on my phone first thing in the morning. And I think I've gone on my phone first thing in the morning, like 10 days out of this whole year. 
And I swear that the days that I do do that, I feel so much more lethargic, Mm -hmm. so much more anxious, so much more easily triggered. And I think it's really important to, for anyone listening to establish a morning routine, like whatever that means for you, it doesn't even have to be an hour or two. It could just be 20 minutes in the morning. And I have a whole episode on my morning routine. So if anyone is interested, you guys can listen. And I'm sure Emma shares about that as well, like on her content. So you guys should definitely check her out. What's your Instagram, by the way, if you want to plug it? (laughs) Yeah, it's just Emma Marshall. It's my name. Um, So is my TikTok. So I have definitely found that when I do that, it triggers me. And I have to be honest that with my whole journey with being a creator, have had to find boundaries with my time on social media. And I think it's definitely something that I'm still learning as I go is, I don't know if you can relate, but when you post a video and let's say it goes viral, like you can be scrolling for hours, just reading the comments and you'll read like a few bad comments that are hateful and then that will impact you and trigger you. So I'm definitely still learning. And that's why I love this platform and the podcast, because it's just a completely different energy. I feel like it's so authentic. I just have to be on a mic and talk. It's not about likes. It's not about followers. It's not about comments. It's literally just about true, deep conversations. And that's why like, I love podcasting. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's difficult not to be a part of it in some capacity, just because it's, you know, like the biggest thing in the world right now. I feel like social media is taking over and they have teams of people whose job is to figure out ways to keep you on the platform for longer and longer and longer. They make money off of your time and attention. So to break free from that takes real discipline and it's a gift to give, you know, it's a gift to give to yourself that discipline, but it's not easy. So once again, compassion always wins here. Yeah. And also what one realization that I had to make is it's really not black and white. Like social media is not bad and it's not good. It's just how you use it. It's just a tool and a technology that exists. And so sometimes social media can be amazing, like just connections. Like we wouldn't have connected if it wasn't for social media, for instance, or all the things and wisdom that I sometimes learn about health and spirituality, like comes from me consuming podcasts or creators that I love on TikTok. So it's not black or white. I think it's just about, again, what you said, discipline and having boundaries. And that goes for everything in life, I think. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it's something that I think also with age and time, like it's just going to start to grow a bit more old, you know, you know, you think I do not in general. I think like not with age and time for the platform itself, but like, as we get older oh, like, for us, yeah. Yeah. Like typically as humans, you get older and like priorities start to change. I'm hoping, I don't know. <laughs> I, I definitely have not lessened my time on my phone. I would say debatably I've increased it, but it has gotten more intentional still a balance, still navigating that. But I think as we, you know, priorities change, you end up, I want a family someday. I can't imagine like be anywhere near on my phone as much when I'm like focused on my children or like building my life in that sense. But it's just a time where there's like, you know, we're building our brands We're you know, I've only been on TikTok for a little over a year and like the growth I saw, I'm like, I don't want to get off quite yet. So right you know, maybe at some point it's just going to feel more established and like I can, you know, outsource things more and kind of separate from it. But in the meantime, it's really just important to be intentional because like you said, it's neutral. Social media is a neutral thing. Pretty much most things in life are neutral. And that's why it's so interesting to tie this back to trauma because most things that happen, obviously there are some things that happen that are just awful. Point blank, there's no way around it. 
-hmm. but a lot of things that happen in life can be viewed as neutral. You know, a partner breaks up with you. Like, of course, if you love someone and they break your heart, that's going to be charged and you're going to have grief and might be traumatic and you're going to have to process. But there's another side of the coin where you're like fully detached and you fully trust. And you're like, that's obviously directing me exactly where I need to go. So the breakup could be neutral, but because it's charged with your emotions, it's negative to you until, you know, some capacity allows you to do the work and it changes to positive because it helps you grow and potentially leads you to your true soulmate. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I could go on, but I think the vast majority of things in life can be viewed as neutral. It's just, we're so used to like having an emotional charge that we create a lot of our own negativity and suffering. Hi guys, I just wanted to drop in mid-episode and let you know that I have created my own digital self-love guided journal, which you can download right now. So if you're interested in doing the inner work, diving deeper, getting to know yourself through scripting, I have created the guided journal for you. It is amazing and I know that you guys will love it. Go ahead and click the link in the episode notes and you guys can download it on there. I've also been getting tons of messages from you guys asking me for my spiritual book recommendations or music playlists and all of those good things and guys I have the solution you just have to join my patreon community I post on there monthly book recommendations monthly manifestation playlists bonus monthly podcast episodes which I personally think is the best part and new moon insights where I do an oracle deck reading and I talk about the energy of the month ahead so definitely join my patreon community for claim your power I know you guys are gonna love it and there's so much good resources on there. And without further ado, let's get back into today's episode. That's another thing that I learned about trauma through my mom is when you're trying to release a memory or an experience that happened to you, when you talk about it, it's very emotionally charged. And so what you have to do to change the narrative is you have to look at the actual facts and the timeline. So like, let's say something happened to you, even an example, like some things that I experienced while being in the Middle East last week, and I was working through that trauma, it was very emotionally charged. What I did with myself is I sat down and I said, okay, this is the timeline. This is what happened. These are the facts. It happened at this time, at this, 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 this. And that kind of helps you detach from the emotional charge, see the trauma or the experience from an, uh, an observer perspective and not by absorbing the emotion. And that's something that really helped me. So it could be for even something small for what you said, like a breakup. When you're going through that breakup, the first weeks or the first months, all you can think is, oh my God, that person broke my heart. I feel so alone. I feel so small or whatever emotion you may be feeling. But if you really sat with yourself and reflected on the relationship for however long it may be, and you looked at the facts and it's like, okay, we haven't been connecting for a long time. We've wanted different things in life. We're not really in alignment anymore. Maybe I wasn't my best self in this relationship. Maybe I was possessive or the other way around. That person didn't respect you. Like when you really sit down, do like a life review of that relationship and look at the facts, it wakes you up because then you're like, okay, it's not just out of nowhere that this happened and we broke up and it's the end of the world. Like there was a course of emotion and a course of experiences and like a manifestation that had to happen for you guys to part ways. And that's something that's really helped me for anyone, for anything, not just breakups, like anything in life, really reflecting on everything and then the facts and not just like the current trigger itself. I love that. I think that's super helpful. I'm, I'm a highly, highly, highly emotional person and I'm still, what's your sign? 
Just I'm an Aquarius. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm an Aquarius moon. So that makes okay. me so emotional. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, yeah, I am just super emotional and sometimes to a fault in the sense that I don't know how to get myself back to a logical place sometimes. You know, I find my way back, but it can be really difficult for me. My emotions can take over my life pretty quickly. So it's so funny because I obviously have the logic in me. We all do. And, you know, typically once the emotional charge passes, we're on the breakup thread, let's say three months, six months, a year later, eventually you're like, oh, that was crazy. Like, I can't believe how much that affected me. Like, I'm fine. Like, I see it all for what it was, you know, a lesson, beautiful, maybe problematic, not what I needed anymore. And we always return to neutrality eventually. But, you know, the timeline for that is unique. If we had the ability to use that logic and let it, you know, kind of take control when we are navigating grief or difficulties or trauma, it would obviously be a lot easier to move through it because logically, typically we can find reason and ration in why things happen. Everything has its greater purpose, but emotionally we can create such drama in our own lives because we think it's the end of the world because it feels like the end of the world, but there's always something that's just you know, simple and neutral and okay. And like full of acceptance underneath that. So it's just navigating how to get to that point. I think also, especially for women, for my 95% audience of females, <laughs> like I think as females, we're just more emotional beings. Sure. Men tend to be more logical. And I definitely relate that, especially like a couple of years back when emotional things would happen to me, it would be really hard for me to like, get myself into a logical place because I was attaching myself so much to the emotion. But I did read there was this Harvard study that says your body only needs 90 seconds to feel the emotion until it dissipates. So your emotions can run at their course like way sooner than you think. But what happens is so many of us attach ourselves to the emotion. And that's why I really agree. I think mindfulness practices are so helpful because if you're meditating and you feel an emotion and you just tell yourself, okay, right now, like I'm observing the fact that I feel sad or I feel angry, but you realize like you're not your emotions. You're just the one experiencing them. And that same goes for trauma. You are not your trauma. You just had those experiences. And that's that's something that's really helped me in my life is kind of, cutting the cord because I think so many people when we experience hardships and setbacks in life we attach ourselves and that kind of becomes our identity and we live in this victim mentality but the real person that that harms and causes the most suffering for is ourselves and I think it's really important to look in the mirror and realize everyone has hardships everyone has struggles it's about how you rise once you fall it's about how you take care of yourself how you show up for yourself after those hardships that really determine the type of human and soul that you become yeah i'm reading um what's it called eastern body western mind right i now. just bought this book Did you? i haven't it's even so started good. it really okay yeah I'm, i haven't even gotten to like the root chakra yet it's just like the basic beginning info and i'm obsessed i'm like highlighting everything but it talks about like the demons or like mm -hmm. the things that are the problematic entity or whatever for each chakra, the things that are going to keep you away from opening that center, from finding enlightenment, from reaching your highest potential. And the crown chakra's demon is attachment. So mm -hmm. it's basically that attachment is the root of all suffering. 
because, you know, we don't have that logical understanding because our egos do so much to keep us from it, that we are actually attached to nothing and everything is temporary and we're going to cease to exist in this form. And the more you let go and the more you release and the more you set yourself free, the more the universe is going to be like, oh, wow, look at them go. Let me give them more of what they actually need, which eventually what you need is going to align with what you want. Hopefully, if you're doing Mm -hmm. the work continuing, we can only hope for what you need is also what you want. Uh, I feel like that's like coming to like a more healed place or like never fully healed, but you know what I mean? And yeah, then we start receiving more and more of all these wonderful things because we don't need them, but we're open to them because we're not attached to things that are frequently not what we need in the first place. So basically attachment is the ultimate thing that's keeping you back from essentially becoming enlightened. And, you know, in my vision, like I'm not looking to be fully enlightened, but I'm just looking to be at like the highest level of peace and bliss and joy and openness and receptivity to life's magic, whatever that looks like. And I also have anxious attachment and I'm working on it, (laughs) been working on it for a long time. So I, you know, attachment is literally a feeling like it's a trigger. It's a dysregulation in your nervous system. And when I feel attached to something, it will literally feel like it wants to, it's like a parasite. Like eating at me. Yeah. So whoever out there has attachment issues as well, I feel you and I see you and know that it's definitely not easy, but in practice and in time, it becomes easier because yeah, you when you, you know, results often give us mo- more momentum than not having results. So mm-hmm. when you start practicing detachment and you see all these magical things coming forward in your life, then it starts to get easier, but it's that beginning, like that initial trust where it's like that attachment might be eating away at you on the inside, but you have that logical knowing and understanding that, you know, what's meant for you isn't going to pass you by and that you can let go and surrender. And then, I don't know, I think that's where all the magic really starts to happen. Yeah. Something that I noticed about my own life, cause I have, I had anxious attachment I no longer tell myself that I do because I'm just trying to not identify with that part of me anymore. Um, But I I did have anxious attachment for a long time. And something that I learned about my own life is that every single time that I really attached myself to something like one outcome or a person that always ended up hurting me or getting forcibly taken out of my life and like the universe removing that person or whatever it was because attachment for me was the root of so much of my suffering. Mm -hmm. And so I had a lot of life lessons just the past two years of the universe consistently removing friends, experiences, men out of my life, just like pulling them by a thread, taking them out of my life. And that taught me that when I'm not attached to something and I'm just receptive and open, then what's meant for me, like you said, just flows into my life and I've kind of reached a place in my life where obviously I still get attached sometimes but I'm just so rooted in my peace I want to feel peace and so people walk in and out of my life people are inconsistent with me or whatever it is that triggers that anxious attachment I just I'm like is this really worth my peace it's just it's just not worth it and I've just learned that kind of the hard way in life that even just recently, like I had a friend step out of my life and an old version of me would have been like, oh my God, why? And like text and like try to figure it out and, you know, dissect the whole situation and everything. And now I'm just like, okay, it is what it is. I send you love. I send you 
good energy, but I trust that if anyone was removed from my life, it's for a reason. And I'm not going to constantly fight it because every time we like chase something or beg for something, it just runs on the other side of the earth. And that's really something that I learned from my anxious attachment girlies. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I feel like running after something that's clearly showing you it's not it. It's just building resistance. And being in flow in life is the best feeling in the world. I had, you know, deep scarcity wounds for a long time because I just grew up in a household where scarcity was like often just talked about or, you know, subtly experienced, even though we weren't actually like in scarcity, it was perceived scarcity kind of always thrown my way. So it's only been like this past year where, I mean, even before this past year, when I was making money, it was just like, I need to hold on to it. I can't spend it. I was like, I'm going to run out. I always was like, had this deeply rooted fear that I was going to have no money. And this past year, I just, I guess, did the work and focused really deeply on being non-attached to money, but also trusting that it was always going to find me if I was operating from an aligned place, showing up, doing my work, you know, not just offering something because I thought it was a good way to make money, but offering something because I loved it and it was powerful and I believed I could support other humans. And, you know, a mix of the abundance work, releasing scarcity and just falling deeper into alignment with what I wanted to share with people and offer people this whole year has been like legitimately the most abundant and easeful year of my entire life. It showed me that flow is easy and flow is our birthright. And I've worked so much less this year. Like I'm trying so much less and still putting in the effort, but it's aligned effort, you know, like I'm not just doing more because I think it's going to equate to more results. I'm doing less. I have so much more free time and it's legitimately easy. And I say this because I'm not doing something that you couldn't do in your own way. And it's available to everyone. Yeah. When you chase after something and it's resisting you and it's obviously resisting you, you have to remind yourself that there's an, there's an option for flow. There's an option for ease. There's an option for peace. And it's just another path that you kind of need to open the door to. But if you're so stuck trying to open this one door that's locked and will not open, you keep banging on it, putting in all your force. Meanwhile, the key is like already in the the little hole in the other door. You're just not looking because you're so distracted with the door that's like cemented shut and locked. There's a quote that says, your ego will have you crying over a door that has nothing behind it. Like sometimes we're just trying so hard to open this one door when there's an amazing gateway that we haven't even seen because we're so focused on the resistance. So I really love that. But we were talking a bit earlier about chakra system. So I wanted to ask you, what are some of the emotional centers of the body where trauma is stored and how can we alchemize them and release that trauma from the centers of the body? Trauma definitely can be stored in all of them in different ways. Um, But typically like the first four, root, sacral, solar plexus, heart, actually, and throat. I would say the first five, like more physical trauma will land there. I would say quickly to go over some root chakra, safety, security, uh, family. So this is like, if you have deep scarcity wounds, if you have instability in your family life, that can feel really dysregulating and traumatizing. So root chakra really needs grounding, sitting in meditation. If you can outside, spending a lot of time away from your phone and with the earth, bare feet on the ground, relieving, uh, receiving the 
negative ions and electrons from the earth, just, you know, warm grounding foods. Like there's so many ways, but you really just want to find a sense of grounding for the root chakra. For sacral, that's creativity and sensuality. A lot of trauma can be sexual trauma here. This one's pretty nuanced and intense. It really depends on what you've gone through, but I feel like you know, reclaiming your sensuality here is really important. So ecstatic dance and, you know, like hip opening yoga and things, you know, womb work. I feel like all of those things are a good way to bring back balance and regulation within your womb, especially if you're a woman. Um, This is the chakra that's often really impacted because a lot of women, I feel like in some capacity are either slut shamed or just shamed for their sexuality if they're religious There's just a lot of different, you know, ways in which we are shamed in this way. If you've experienced physical trauma or sexual trauma, obviously I'm incredibly sorry. That's, it's tough. And I would say maybe working with a somatic therapist or, you know, getting additional support in that sense, I think could be really helpful, but definitely doing womb work and shaking and dancing and connecting to your femininity is a really good way to release old blocks there. I wanted to really quickly, before you keep going, say to anyone listening that I just thought of that asking for additional help from people, I think makes you strong. It doesn't make you weak. And I think there's a really big misconception that even like I I had done therapy for a year, a couple of years back. And before I had done that, I was like, oh my God, that makes me so weak. Like I'm emotionally unstable that I need a therapist and da, da, da. That year of therapy changed my life and changed my mindset. I found out so much about myself. So just for anyone like big or small, asking for help doesn't make you weak. It makes you strong. So just remember that. (laughs) Yes, I love that so much. But solar plexus is next. Uh, This is like personal power, self-esteem, confidence, boundary setting. Definitely a difficult one if you have any people pleaser tendencies, which something uh, that I've navigated throughout my life as well. I would say for this one, breath work is amazing because, you know, a lot of to breathe properly, you breathe in and out of your diaphragm. A lot of people breathe in and out of their chest. It's not the correct way to breathe. So things like breath of fire, if you wanted to get into like a, you know, more intense trauma release, blockage release, breath work session with me, or there's tons of amazing facilitators. Instagram is your friend here. There are just Check so out many. Emma. Yeah, you can also do it with me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you want to like cultivate power in your solar plexus. So breathwork's a really good one. You're bringing a lot of energy into that center. Also releasing a lot of energy from that center that's no longer yours. And also for this one, being intentional with what you eat and making sure your gut is balanced is a low key, like major one. Because so much anxiety and overwhelm and stress comes from a dysregulated, dysbiotic, I think the word would be gut. You know, the gut brain axis is really closely linked through the vagus nerve and the vagus nerve is part of your nervous system. So if your gut is inflamed, you are significantly more likely to be in fight or flight. So make sure you're eating anti-inflammatory whole foods from the earth. I guess I'll share about heart and throat. So heart chakra, um, Typically blocks here are grief and hate and a lack of love. If you know, you've experienced something traumatic where especially another human did something really harmful for you, you might carry that block of like, 
how could a person do that to me? Like, I'm not going to be open to love again. I'm scared to be vulnerable. So self-love is huge, but I would say mirror work, you know, looking at yourself and giving yourself your own love and positive affirmations, self-touch, self-soothing, connecting to your physical body, reminding yourself that you are safe and held and seen because you can't receive love from anyone else if you're not receiving it from yourself first. So I think those are some good ones for that. And then throat chakra, it's like my favorite one to work with. I love to sing. So throat chakra, typically trauma and blocks keep you from expressing yourself. You feel fear around sharing your truth. You feel fear around being heard or seen. You're afraid of judgment. So first of all, it's just like practice speaking up. Like, I know that's pretty simple, but like you have to practice speaking up. Even if it's like you just say it to yourself in your mirror or you record it in a voice memo, you have to start flexing that muscle of like speaking your truth. And eventually you'll be able to do it to others. But besides that, I would say sing, scream, scream into your pillows. It's like one of my favorite things to do. Sing, even if you don't think you're a good singer, everyone is an artist. Hum, chant, sing mantras, om. Just use your voice, flex the muscle uh, because your voice is meant to be heard. And I'm telling you, I used to be a really bad singer. Like I, when I had so much judgment and shame around my voice, I always wanted to be a singer and I just did not sound good for a long time. I still have some limiting beliefs. Sometimes it's only human. Like I hear the freaking most amazing singer and I'm like, Ugh, I don't know. Um, but primarily like, I love my voice. I think I have a beautiful voice. I I'm like making music and using it and it's becoming part of my life. And I'm telling you that my voice like became good when I unblocked my throat chakra and started speaking my truth and decided that my voice was worthy of being heard. Something like shifted in my vocal cords and I like started singing good. So yeah, there's, that's just some for the ones that I felt were um, relevant here in terms of trauma. No, the throat chakra one, I relate so much because for so many years, I would get throat aches and sore throats like once a month. And it was so, so bad. And it was because I wasn't speaking my truth. And for me, I don't sing. I'm an awful singer. Maybe I'll get good. You kind of inspired me. I'm like going to go sing in the mirror later. Please do. <laughs> I'm going to be like, yeah, Mariah Carey. Anyways. <laughs> but so for me, like that kind of manifested with my podcast because the first year I wouldn't tell anyone I had a podcast. Like this was before I even did TikTok. I didn't tell any of my friends I had a podcast. I was so embarrassed. I didn't believe in what I was saying. And so I had no listenership, like nothing. And it wasn't until I was like, fuck it, I'm going to start social media. I'm just going to share what I want. I'm going to say my truth, blocked anyone that I didn't want off my feed. And then the podcast went viral. So moral of the story is sometimes the biggest blocks in our lives stem from something like really small between us. Because for so long, I was just trying to like read between the lines. I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like, am I not marketing it correctly? Am I not producing the episodes right? And it wasn't that as within, so without. Nothing changes unless nothing changes. And when you change something internally, the things around you change. Yeah, I completely resonate with that. And we have so much opportunity and such capacity to make change in our lives every single day. And all you need to do is make that decision for yourself and start small. But even if you just start using some of these practices we talked about today, 
five minutes of breath work in the morning or like five minutes of shaking will change your entire day. And it requires very minimal effort. So don't think you need to change your entire life overnight to start seeing growth or shifts because little changes start to make big leaps in your life. Yeah. Shaking. Wow. When I shake my body, I'm like, oh, I'm like purging everything out of me. I love the best. It's the best. You just like jump up and down like a toddler. Wow. (laughs) You guys have to try it. It really is so it's so releasing. I did that in one of my full moon circles and we all were like shaking it, everything out. And it just felt like so good to just collectively like really shake it off. Like Taylor so said, like shake mm-hmm. it off. Yeah. Um, I love it. So I wanted to ask you one last question. What is one piece of advice or tip you would give someone or to a past version of yourself that is struggling with trauma and wants to take the next step to healing it? I would say... First and foremost, before you do anything else, ask yourself where you lack Mm self-acceptance, where you are not allowing yourself to be okay. You know, even if the worst thing in the world happened to you, like if you can accept yourself, you can move forward from it in some way. Like this happened, I'm not broken because of it, but maybe I need to heal or maybe I need to navigate this or I need to go through this. But I feel like typically what happens when we experience some sort of trauma, it like manifests mentally and emotionally as like something's wrong with us. And we find, you know, shame or guilt or fear or any one of these emotions that makes us like convince ourselves we're wrong in some way. So I guess it would be to remind yourself that if something has happened to you that's been harmful or negative, you are not at fault and there's nothing wrong with you. So Get to the root of where you are, you know, lacking acceptance for yourself. Start to bring in that love and acceptance for yourself. Love it. Well, thank you so, so much for joining me in today's episode. I'm so happy you came and shared your beautiful wisdom. And I really hope that for anyone listening, you could take what resonates with you and really apply it into your own life. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Beautiful souls. Thank you so much for joining me in today's episode. As always, I will talk to you next week. Bye.